You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. I'm Drew Leiter. And I'm Cletus Jacobs. And welcome to episode 324 of the Earth Station DCU! Tonight we're going to talk Gotham City Year One, Number Five, Poison Ivy, Number Nine, Batman and the Joker Deadly Duo, Number Four, Batman 132, The Flash One Minute War Special, Number One, The Flash, Number 792, Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn, Number One, Lazarus Planet Next Evolution, Number One, Monkey Prince, Number Eleven, and The Flash Season Nine, Episode Three Rogues of War. But before we get into that, let's talk some DC news. Alright, Cletus, first up for DC news. DC's Night Terrors event sends heroes into their worst nightmares this summer. The event will consist of core Night Terrors title along with a number of two-issue limited series, each of which will feature a DC character being sucked into the nightmare realm to confront their darkest fears head-on. Writer Joshua Williamson and artist Howard Porter will spearhead the core Night Terror tiles, with Gilliam March also contributing. Other creators will be named at a later date. There could be some interesting comics that come out of this. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be at least a a handful that'll be pretty interesting, Drew, but I'm going to be... I mean, it's all subjective, right? To be clear, it's all subjective. It's completely whether this thing floats your boat or not, but it just seems like a massive waste of time. Like, all these stories are just, it feels a lot like a filler episode of TV, Drew. That's what the pitch sounds like to me. Where, like, instead of just focusing on ongoing stories that you could be doing in your individual books, that you're basically taking a break and writing this, again, essentially filler episode where they go off and have their own personal little nightmare that does not matter or it only tangentially matters to the actual story and probably is retreading very familiar ground. Like, spoiler alert, Batman's traumatized by the death of his parents. You know what I mean? And then and then we go back and then that this event or whatever ends and then we go back to the ongoing stories that could have just used the extra month. Yeah, I have no interest in this event whatsoever. <laughs> but I just, Drew, what frustrates me, and honestly, I have very similar feelings, and we're going to get into it when we talk about the comics this week, with Lazarus Planet. These th- these events are just massive wastes of time, and they are asking comic readers to spend more money than they've ever spent, because issues are more expensive than they've ever been, to buy what is frankly meaningless crap, Drew. I understand, again, it's all subjective, and you could make that argument about any comic, theoretically. But, like, these stories are meaningless. They have no lasting power to them, and they don't feel like they're designed to. They feel like they're designed to get you to spend your money. And that's just... I know it's a business, Drew. I know that they need people buying their product, but, like, what if your product was actually quality? I feel like you'd have an easier time selling people. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's 
these events after events after events, like you said, meaningless crap. That was a good description of it because that's what a lot of these events have been feeling like lately. There's just no depth. There's no soul. There's no real purpose to it. Like they, they always, obviously, every event always is going to alter the DC universe forever. But increasingly, Drew, they're they're meaningless. Like they stop meaning anything within a month. You may as well have not read the event. If it looks anything like this Lazarus event, Drew, it's not even really an event. It's just sort of like a banner you're putting across the top of the comic. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get into Lazarus' event too much, but to me, especially the titles we read this week, it, it felt like it was an advertisement. <laughs> Drew, you read my mind. That's exactly what I was going to get into. Uh, and we'll talk up well, again, we'll talk about this more in our comic section, but it's a giant commercial. And maybe whatever this horror event isn't a giant commercial, but it's a commercial break. Like, I, you know what I mean? Like, it's... The meat and potatoes of the comics should just be your ongoing series, your ongoing Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and, and whatever other titles are surrounding that. That should be the driving force of these stories. And instead, it's all of them are there, but that's clearly not what whoever is whoever is really in charge, right? And not whoever is we're told is in charge. Whoever is really in charge clearly does not care. Right about those, they just care about the bottom line, and they think that the best way to improve that bottom line is endless event after event after event. But these are just—they're just soulless husks. I mean, none of the Drew, I, none of these events have meant anything. They've not done anything. No, and we got all these events going on. We've got the ongoings going on, but they keep getting interrupted all the time. It's getting to the point where the miniseries are the good stories to read white knight um <laughs> i can't think of any right now white knights it, it was poison ivy but that got changed tom king's works the, the um the gotham series the um yeah uh, gotham gotham city year human one target. yeah yeah human target, human target. Uh, whatever the danger street and you know he's not the only one but he's he's clearly that's his lane they're really good, and I agree, Drew. Those are where you're getting a concentrated quality superhero story where it's not busy trying to sell you on the next story or sell you on a story that's happening in a different book. It's like, hey, here's our book. Just read it. The only, I mean, the only one that's really, truly, I feel like, focused entirely on itself right now is Batman, which I'm not shocked by it, Drew, because it's the only guaranteed seller. Like, it is guaranteed to do well and to sell. And so it's not even really trying to convince you to read Detective Comics or Tim Drake or anything. It's just like, it's like, it's just Zdarsky telling his story. And I, Drew, I think honestly, the only reason that's the case is because he has the luxury of writing the Batman title. If it was literally any other book, I think we'd be reading the same crap we've been reading in the, you know, that are too diverted and oh it's it's about this but actually it's also about this upcoming event and now this is about this upcoming event and then this is about the upcoming event after the upcoming event and none of it and in the whole time you're just not getting anything worth reading i know it's getting bad getting really bad the ongoings are enjoyable when they're just telling their stories but then these events always interrupt them and Things go haywire, stories get cut short. You know, we've had some recently that just 
wrapped up all of a sudden and they just had weird endings and stuff. And what's so frustrating, Drew, is you, I'm sure they're getting some lagging sales and that they see that, well, the only way to boost them up is the events. But we've talked about this many times where they, they're really just bringing about their end faster, like by trying to do these quick fixes, these quick hits of like, oh, we do an event, we'll get a quick surge of money. Well, you're going to get diminishing returns every time because people aren't enjoying that. And then you're like, okay, so fewer people come back for the next one and then fewer people come back for the next one. And meanwhile, you're losing people on your ongoings because there's no, you're training people not to commit to the ongoings because you don't care about them. And so they don't sell. And it's, again, it's this self-fulfilling prophecy. You're like, oh, well, we can't do ongoing titles because nobody buys them. Well, nobody buys them because you don't commit to them and you don't let them tell their own stories. Yes, you're relaunching stuff every two years. <laughs> and, That's and, about the... and importantly, within that two years, they're not even telling a two-year story. Because even if they were doing that, Drew, that would be worth it. At, you know what I mean? Like, that's not great, but it would be you would at least be getting two years of a story. Instead, you're getting maybe six months of a story, and then the other year and a half worth of issues is all tie-ins and lead up to other stuff. It's kind of depressing. It's just, I think it's the result of DC Comics being owned by a bigger corporation that doesn't care about the medium. And I and it is what it is, right? I mean, of course they don't. They just care about, they're just, DC's just a property to make them money. And they're going to do whatever they think the algorithm says to do to make money instead of the right comics decision. And I just, not, you know, people don't have to agree with me on this, Drew. There are some people that are really enjoying everything DC's putting out. I'm, I'm very happy that they are. But I am not. And it's just so frustrating because it doesn't have to be this way. There's a lot of quality writers that they have and artists on their staff. And there are some really good ideas and good stories out there. And they're just not getting the justice they deserve because instead we're just it's all in service of the next event that is that just means nothing. Like Dark Crisis meant nothing, Drew. That was a crisis. Like, of anything for DC that's supposed to be big and major. And I think, again, I think very poorly of Williamson's writing. I think he meant that to mean something. Again, uh, you know, his ability to deliver on that, I question. But, Drew, I think he wanted that to be a big, meaningful, mega story. And it just it isn't because there was no... Uh, what has been the fallout from that? What meaningful impact on DC Comics has been, has come out of that story? Nothing. We just went right into another event that's supposedly changing everything. But even that is very unclear what's going on. The only meaningful thing so far is that technically the multiverse is unlimited and that the Justice League disbanded. But the Justice League disbanding is not a... That's not going to be a lasting legacy, right? Like, that's that's a temporary status quo that comes out of any event comic. Yes, they've already then, they've already said the Justice League's coming back, so... Of course, and of course it is, right? So, like, the two big... The two... Oh, and Gar has a eye patch. That's... Drew, that's about it, right? That's the Justice League temporarily disbanded, which, again, we're, we're talking long-term, big-picture... What was the meaningful impact of this story? It ain't the Justice League disbanding. Gar having an eye patch, maybe. I don't know. That probably isn't going to stick around that long. 
and then the infinite multiverse. I mean, it's different, but does it... Is there any functional difference, Drew, between the 52 and the infinite one? We were never telling all 52 universes stories to begin with. No, we weren't. And they, they haven't even utilized the new infinite multiverse with anything yet. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, it is a change. I will acknowledge, Drew, it is a change. And it is technically something that you can get into. But really, functionally, there's no real difference between a 52 and an infinite universe. Because they're not making enough comics to actually fully explore all. Nor should they, to be clear. I'm not saying that they should be. But, like, that's the point. When there's 52 of them, that's that's too many to explore in the first place. So, I can understand them wanting to have the infinite. Because, you know, that gives you the possibilities for any type of story. But they're not util they haven't utilized it at all yet. Instead, they launched into another event where it's raining down magic. And um, there's a lot of chaos going on. But we're not really getting any stories out of it either. Just advertisements for things to come. They keep advertising things to come, but we're not seeing anything come to fruition yet. And by the time they do, we'll probably be shoved into another event. Yeah. That's just the frustrating part is like, I just don't know what I know. And I know there's an argument to be made that you should just enjoy the story for what it is and not worry about whether it's going to mean anything in the future. Does it mean something now? But the point is a lot of this comics aren't about that. A lot of these comics are about the story that comes next. So you can't even just enjoy them for what they are because they're not about what they are. They're about setting up the next thing. They're like, well, you could enjoy this story. Maybe it is an individually well-written issue, but it's really trying to get you to look forward and buy the next thing. I'm I'm very glad that they're sticking to the miniseries model, at least, Drew, because like you said, that's where the real comics are at right now. And I don't mean I don't say that to sound elitist. It's just the truth. That's the best comics that DC is putting out are the ones that, because of the nature of their of being self-contained, they're they're just telling their story. It's a complete full arc story, which is just we're just not getting that in these comics right now. I like, think about Catwoman. I mean, what a what a mess of a transition we just went through from one story arc to the other. Now again, they are trying to tell an overarching Catwoman story. I think the quality has been shaky a little bit recently. But even then, we just switched over. All of a sudden, we had this whole big arc, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a big status quo change. And it's about, well, find out by the next comic to find out what the hell is going on. <laughs> and the thing well, is, it's it started off really good, too. It was, it, did. it was doing a really good job. And then it just went off the rails. I think that's part of the problem with the regular regular series now is they're not focusing on the characters and getting in depth with stuff they're just too busy setting up stuff for the next event <laughs> and one of the big things too drew that i think both of us hated in the cat speaking about catwoman specifically is again that that idea of pushing forward and introducing the, the new shiny thing to get you to buy they introduced the tomcat and then again i know that that's supposed to be a minor character or whatever but that's a legacy move right like that's them trying to introduce a character that sticks around and maybe get some royalties off of that character. And good for them. If it works, it works. Good for them. But in the meantime, it's the dumbest plot point I have read in a long time. <laughs> but that's the thing, is that the comic it wasn't, in my opinion, I would argue that decision to make that character 
wasn't made for the good of the story. It was made because they're hoping that that character sticks around and that becomes a legacy for them. It's what Williamson does. That's, I've talked about this a lot of times that I feel like Williamson's writing is basically him throwing as much crap as possible against the wall and hoping that some of it sticks and that then everybody gets the point. Well, remember when Williamson did that? He's the one that created that and he created that. Yeah, and the, the problem with Dario becoming Tomcat is the Tomcat personality is t it's totally different from what he is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely, Drew. It doesn't make any sense. But that's the thing. But again, I don't think it, it matters to them if it makes sense. Think about some of the characters that Williamson had, like in his Flash run. They were like those stories were god awful. I, I those were not good comics. But the current showrunner of the TV show has decided that that's the comic that everybody's reading. I guess. And so he, he, in some ways, he gets credit for like the forces, right? I think Godspeed. And so. It's like, well, if you actually read the stories those characters come from, they're stupid. Like, they're terrible comics. But, but, he gets fermented for creating it. It's the Rob Liefeld effect. He gets credited for creating Deadpool. Has he written the best Deadpool comics? Absolutely not, but he did make him. You had to bring him up, didn't you? <laughs> well, but you, you see what the point I'm making is. Yeah, that I know. That's what I feel like. I feel like increasingly in the ongoing comics, we're getting a lot of creators trying to do that. They're trying to create a character that gets put into a movie and so that they can get a little piece of that pie. And I, Drew, I respect it. I, I totally get trying to get in on that money. I do. But so often these characters don't, the, the story that they're in is, is vapid, meaningless. The character itself is meaningless. They're just inventing them and putting them in there in hopes that they stick and they get adapted into live action. I cannot be convinced. You cannot convince me that there aren't writers doing that, Drew. There's just there are too many times we get something introduced that's like that's you're not making that character as you think that they fit in the story. No, another good example of that is Punchline. Yeah. So I they want they want to make her as popular as Harley Quinn. I'm sorry, she's no Harley Quinn. <laughs> it's, it's, She's got a series going on right now that we're not reviewing because I have no interest in the character. Perfect. So, yeah, you're probably glad to hear that we're not reviewing that. <laughs> you uh, probably, yeah. You probably didn't even know they had one going on, did you? Uh, I think I was vaguely uh, aware of it, but I, uh, I do not like that character. There's nothing about that character that I enjoy. Yeah, and I don't, I don't care for her either, so. All right, we've gotten way off on a tangent here. <laughs> All right, let's, ro let's rope it back in. Let's uh, move on to our next bit of DC news. Dead Boy Detective is moving from HBO Max to Netflix. Sources say that Greg Berlanti produced drama that didn't fit in with the new chapter of content being spearheaded by DC Studios executives James Gunn and Peter Safran. I don't know. I saw that article, Cletus, and I thought it was a weird move to move that show from HBO Max to Netflix, I, it, it didn't make sense to me because I thought they were wanting to produce shows for HBO Max. Why are they moving it to Netflix? Don't because understand. I think they're trying to keep consistent on the platform, Drew. So if you're tuning into an HBO Max series, you, it, I think they want it to be like Disney+. Plus. So if you're tuning into that, you know that it is tied into the main 
DC story and dead the dead boys. I I know this sounds dumb, Drew, because I don't think anybody's going to really think of it primarily as a DC property anyway. But I think that they're trying to keep them separate so that you're watching something on Netflix, you know it's its own thing. It's an Elseworlds, whatever, whatever, right? But if you're tuning into an HBO Max project, you know that it is part of the this new James Gunn universe. But I thought that was the whole point of the Elseworlds tag they're going to be putting on stuff. I don't disagree, Drew. And again, I want to emphasize that I don't know who's going to be tuning in to Dead Boy Detectives and thinking that it's part of DC anyway. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that would require a certain level of knowledge that most people aren't going to have. But whatever. I, honestly, Drew, ultimately, I don't know that it makes any functional difference. I think the lifespan of this show is limited either way. We both know that if you put it on Netflix, you ain't getting more than three seasons. <laughs> Best case scenario. But I also don't think that they were going to get that many at HBO either, Drew. I, it's, I think it's essentially you're just picking a the, the you know, where is the grave plot going to be <laughs> for it? That's probably true. I'm still excited for the series, so... I am too, to be clear. I don't want to sound pessimistic about the show. I, I am very excited to check it out, and I think if, based on the you know the taste of that team that we got from Doom Patrol, I think it could be a really fun and entertaining show. It just, but again, well, given what we know about, the frankly, the disaster that is Warner Brothers Discovery right now, I, it's the prospects of that show's life, Drew, aren't great wherever it goes, so... I guess if you put it on Netflix, you, it guarantees to at least get a season. Yeah, that's true. All right, well, that wraps up our DC News for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll do our comics talk. The Hitchhiker's Guide to Podcasting has this to say about the weekly Earth Station One podcast. Mildly entertaining, not nearly as exciting as the popping of bubble wrap, but slightly better than listening to Vogon Poetry. Be mildly entertained by Mike and Mike as they tackle an assortment of geeky topics each week. Check out the Earth Station One podcast and let your inner geek out to play. Howdy! Listen up, I am talking! Now, the question of the hour is, who's got a Doctor Who podcast? Answer, we do. Next question, who's listening to it? Answer, you are. If you're sitting up there in your silly little spaceship and you've got any plans to listen to a Doctor Who podcast, just remember who's standing in your way. And then, do the smart thing. Listen to Earth Station Who, right here on the ESO back but before we get into this week's comic books talk we gotta let you know there's gonna be spoilers we got spoilers 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 we got spoilers for you we got spoilers spoilers we've got spoilers for you for you Alright, let's talk Gotham City Year One, Number 5. Queenie is a maid at a hotel when she meets Mr. Wayne. A month later into their affair, Queenie wants them to leave for Metropolis and start a new life. Mr. Wayne wants to stay in Gotham. The plan is for Queenie to climb a ladder, go through a window that is left open, and take Mr. Wayne's baby. 
Slam's partner, Johnny, confronts Queenie. Johnny has pictures of Queenie and Richard Wayne together. Johnny wants half of the ransom. Queenie sets up a meeting to work out the details later. When Johnny meets Queenie later that night at the construction site, Richard comes out of the shadows and takes Johnny's gun. Instead of paying Johnny off like Queenie expected, Richard Wayne shoots him. The next part of the plan, Queenie, Queenie meets Slam on the roof. Queenie gets the money and Slam gets the letter. When Slam and Mr. Wayne go to the grave, Queenie goes to fetch the girl. Originally, Queenie was going to drop Helen off at the hospital and then get out of town. Uh, the doctors would give the baby back to the family and then Queenie would meet Richard in Central City in two months. Queenie had left the baby in Finger Tower in a room that wasn't being rented. Queenie had only left for 15 minutes while she went to the roof to meet Slam. When Queenie came back, Helen wasn't there anymore. Queenie waited to hear from Richard, but then figured Richard had someone else pick up the baby. Queenie was headed out of town when she heard on the radio that Helen was found dead in her uncle's backyard. Queenie pulled over to the side of the road and threw up. Queenie had taken the kid, Queenie had taken the cash, and Queenie had just been at her uncle's house. No one knew about her and Richard. Richard could say whatever he wanted. No one was going to believe her over Richard. Queenie decided to drive back to Gotham. Queenie decided to see Slam and tell him the truth. Queenie and Slam get into his car and head south. As they are driving, the radio reports that looting and violence has broken out in the southern areas. Vigilante groups from the north have broken off from the protest in search of the killer. Several businesses have been set ablaze and Commissioner Huff has been hospitalized because of an attack by unknown assailants. Slam takes Queenie to see his mother, Shirley Bradley. Shirley tells Queenie that they are going to do a reading of Queenie to make sure if the story she told is true or if it is a lie. The ancestors will decide her fate. If Queenie is telling the truth, then they will do what they can for her. If the cards state that Queenie is lying, Slam is going to shoot her dead. After every card that is read, Queenie keeps stating, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, with tears falling from her eyes. When Shirley gets to the last card, Queenie bolts out of the room. Shirley flips over the last card. It looks like some sort of priest. Shirley asks Slam if he knows what he is doing. Slam answers that he wish he didn't. Slam takes Queenie back north. Slam states he never knew his father. His father walked and Shirley raised him. Slam doesn't think he was a good man. Slam tells Shirley to stay at his apartment because it isn't safe out in Gotham for her. Slam goes to his former sergeant, Loader's home. Slam throws him out the window and he lands on Slam's car. Slam drives him around and takes him to a junkyard. When Slam stops his car, Loader goes flying off. Slam wants to know how much Mr. Wayne paid him to kill Helen Wayne. Loder tells Slam that they didn't work for Mr. Wayne. He doesn't have any money. They work for Mrs. Wayne. Loder explained that they had been hired almost a decade back by Constance Wayne to guard Richard Wayne from himself. Mr. Wayne was a drunk, a gambler, and a womanizer. Mrs. Wayne had hoped Loder and Carter might stop Mr. Wayne from wasting the small amount of his fortune that he, he hadn't already tossed away. It didn't do much good. Mr. Wayne was good at slipping out and losing money by the gallon. Constance Wayne ran the company while Richard ran around town with his fly down and his wallet out. Rumor had it that Mr. Wayne owed some big people some big money and Constance wasn't covering that debt. Slam asked Loder where he had been the night Richard Wayne and Slam paid the ransom, the night Helen Wayne died. Loder stated 
Loder stated he had been waiting at Wayne Manor for them to come back. Then Slam asked Loder if Mrs. Wayne had waited with him. Loder replied that she stepped out to get some fresh air by herself. To be concluded. Oh, Drew, it is getting so ugly. My gosh. We already knew what a piece of crap that Mr. Wayne was, and it obviously got much worse, this issue. But it feels like he might not be the only Wayne that did something terrible, and that's woof, Drew. I mean, we knew that this story was ending poorly. Like, there was no way around it. But my goodness, what a dour comic. (laughs) Very good. Don't get me wrong. Very good. But what a downer. (laughs) Yeah. And cheesh, I'm sure Bruce doesn't know this about his, uh, would be his great-great-grandparents. Uh, unclear. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's unclear how far back, but, um. It's tricky with the moving timeline. Because yes. <laughs> clearly it would be his parents in the original. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Slam could be related to Bruce Wayne if Mrs. Wayne gets pregnant. Yeah. See, this is what I'm wondering why he's talking to Bruce. It, it's possible that he could be related to Slam if Mrs. I mean, Wayne got pregnant. If anything, that would be better. <laughs> that would be <laughs> superior lineage, lineage to what could be his great-grandfather, grandfather, whatever. I've been wondering, what, what's the point of... I've been wondering, what, what's the point of Slam telling him this story? The only thing I can think of is that Slam might be related to him i think there's that drew but i also i have a strong suspicion that whatever the true ugliness of this story that we're learning in this issue and we'll most certainly get next issue as well i get a strong suspicion that that is not public knowledge you know what i mean that whatever that whatever some of these details were absolutely not shared with the public and so i mean it's possible bruce had figured this out on his own but uh, Drew, I think you could be right, but I think it is also in part being like, hey, so when everybody thought it was kind of, relatively speaking, a, a neat and tidy crime, actually, <laughs> much worse. Yes, everybody's gotten their hands dirty in this thing. <laughs> Even Slam. So, yeah, it's it's a mess, and it's not going to end well. No, no, not at all. Also, Drew, I have to I have to mention that you were correct, and that was really his mom, uh, Slams, that is. So, well done, sir. I was wrong. Again, that's the second time you've been wrong in this, this run. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just thought I'd point that out. <laughs> no, you, you, were, you were right. I really, I, I got that the story was hitting that they were, it would mean at minimum it was a, uh, you know, a familial relationship, but I wasn't convinced it was really his mom. But I was wrong, Drew. I drew. I man, is this? I know this story is going to end horrifically, but gosh, it has been really good. I have very much enjoyed this run. Again, again, again I know. Again, I know I'm biased because I I very much enjoy King's work, but the, this is the good stuff that DC's putting out are these limited series. Because they're just telling their own complete story. There's no way we would have gotten this story in another title. Yeah, you're right. We wouldn't have. It, it had to be in a miniseries of its own. And that's the great thing about these miniseries we've been reading. I mean, even with the one we're going to read next, Poison Ivy, it you know, it got so popular they turned it into an ongoing series. And I want to point out, has gotten less focused as a story as a result. 
Yeah, that's true. Probably because it's gone beyond what she was originally planning on telling. I agree. So, <laughs> you got that too. So, you know, sometimes with good ongoing series, usually when a creative team comes on, they have a plan of where it's going and you can do a slow burn on it. But, you know, she started off the miniseries. It went good. They said you got more and, you know, she gave more, but it wasn't as focused as it could be as she went into it with a plan in, in the first place. You know what I mean? And that happens sometimes. All right. Well, let's let's move on to our next title for this week. Poison Ivy number nine. Harley shows up in Seattle to visit Ivy. They kiss and hit the bedroom. Janet is in shock and then heads out to run errands. Later on, Harley asks Ivy for some Lamia spores. Harley wants to see things as Ivy does. Ivy finally gives in and Harley is blown away by what she sees. It's the green. Ivy takes Harley to all her favorite places in the city. Harley is amazed. Ivy talks about wishing she had her full powers. Harley tells Ivy that she never lost those powers. Harley shows Ivy a picture from the Montana Motel, the garden that Ivy helped plant. When Ivy left it, it was just an ordinary garden, but it transformed overnight. Harley thinks Ivy's powers will grow back, kind of like a plant. Later that day, Harley tells Ivy she is heading back to Gotham. Harley wants Ivy to come back to Gotham too. Ivy states her life is here now. Harley leaves. A few minutes later, Ivy changes her mind. Ivy tells Janet to start packing. They've got work to do. Drew, I, as I just mentioned, I, I like this comic. It's a good, it's an entertaining comic. I like Harley coming in and really kind of setting Ivy back on her path. It was great. And I think Wilson really, again, continues to demonstrate that she gets Ivy's character and writes her very well. And, and Drew, I agree with you that it is somewhat, the lack of focus, I think, is symptomatic of the fact that Wilson didn't have a plan for this, probably. But you can tell there is a difference in what this kind of what we're getting now, these last three or four issues, as to what we got when it was just a six-issue miniseries. It was a lot tighter and more focused storytelling. And while this, this issue was quite good, again, don't get me wrong, I think it's very much worth reading. And the series is very much worth reading right now. There is a difference in the writing, you can tell. And it's just, again, I just, I, it maintains my belief, Drew, that this is, uh, for whatever reason, I, I love ongoing, I feel like superhero comics in their nature are ongoing stories, right? They're always evolving, they're always changing, right? So I'm not opposed to ongoing comics. There, that is what, that's where they come from. That's the history of superhero comics, but. It's just, you're not getting the best stuff out of them right now. No, you're not. And I'm, I've, just, I've been thinking back about how comics used to be back when I first started reading them. A lot of times the ongoing series, you'd have, I think back to them, a lot of times you'd have three story arcs. So the stories were a little more tighter and then it'd continue on. So, you know, some you'd have threads that would be, you'd have threads in them that would be ongoing you know, in the bigger story arc. But a lot, I've been thinking back, a lot of stories were either three parts or two part stories with, uh, you know, ongoing threads in them. And, uh, you know, a lot of the more modern comics seem to stretch things out a lot more. You know what I mean? Well, they're trying to fit that six issue trade. That's what they're trying to do because you can't sell a three issue trade. They'd love to see if you would, but they don't. You can't do it. So you got to make it fit the six-issue format so that you can tr sell the trade. And a lot of people have been saying that for years, that the comics were kind of falling victim to this, it needs to fit a six-issue arc. And so, like you said, Drew, some stories just don't fit that. They don't need to be six issues long. Yeah. Yep. 
that's true. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Batman and the Joker Deadly Duo Number 4. In the past, Harley Quinn drives an armored car into a church. There is a wedding ceremony taking place. When the groom charges Joker, Joker shoots him in the head. GCPD arrive on the scene, and Commissioner Gordon realizes this is Donald Sims' daughter's wedding. The Joker throws the dead body of the groom out the front door of the church. The Joker demands sandwiches from Moe's, chips of all flavors, and a purple helicopter with comfy seats. Batman arrives at the church. The Joker has the father of the bride with a gun to his head. Batman throws his batarang right as the Joker pulls the trigger. Mr. Sim loses an eye, but is not dead. When the gun goes off, Officer Bennett sends his strike team against Commissioner Gordon's orders. Bennett's men set off tripwires rigged with hand grenades. In the present, we learn that Mr. Sims is the one who has captured Harley Quinn. Mr. Sims throws a duffel bag with a change of clothes for Harley. Mr. Sims tells Harley there is a special event that she is invited to and he wants her to be, make herself presentable. Batman and the Joker drop from the Batplane onto a train known as the Gotham Bullet. It was the fastest steam locomotive ever built and ran the silver line between Gotham and Metropolis through the 1930s. Able to run over 140 miles per hour, it set the speed record for the steam-driven trains, a record it holds to this day. The Gotham Bullet remains as a tourist attraction and is a popular venue for special events. Batman receives a call from the villain with their task for the day. Currently, the train is being used to host a large wedding and is full of guests. Batman and the Joker's task is to bring the train down to its empty weight. The crew is dead. If an attempt is made to uncouple the cars or stop the train, the villain will derail it. Sensors have been positioned along the track to measure the train's weight. If Batman and the Joker are successful, a final switch will divert the train before it arrives at its next stop. The Martha Wayne Memorial Station. If our duo fails, the train will crash into the terminal at full speed, killing untold numbers of commuters headed for home for the weekend. Batman interrupts the wedding. Batman gets the passengers to help lessen the weight by tossing seats and anything else they can from the train. With not enough weight gone, Batman moves the passengers into the front of the train. Batman sets the back of the train on fire. While Batman is working to lighten the load more, the Joker throws passengers off the train. Batman is pissed and punches the Joker. The villain congratulates Batman and the Joker for completing the task with 44 pounds to spare. Together they saved hundreds of lives at the cost of only half a dozen. Nightwing and Catwoman break into Symtech's data center and download the information that Batman needs. Later in the Batcave, Batman discovers that Symtech's research went way beyond ethical norms. The humans tested were being altered without their consent. Batman goes to the gravesite of Amanda Sims and has her body dug up. Meanwhile, at the GCPD, Detective Bullock receives a present. It is a human eye. To be continued. Drew, I, I really struggle with Batman stories that set up how awful the Joker is and set up scenarios where Batman goes absolutely out of his way to keep the Joker alive despite the deaths of people, ongoing deaths of people around him. And we've got, a, we've got a few of those stories recently, Drew, and they just, it's one of those things, like, Batman's no-kill rule, I think is important to the character. And his 
applying that to villains is consi- makes sense to be consistent, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't want anybody to die. But when you draw attention to how frankly silly it is that he goes out of his way to make sure that Joker doesn't die, it doesn't really hold up to scrutiny, right? And I I just don't enjoy stories that hold that like that present that it's just one of those things like if you don't draw attention it's the same idea where stories that would get into the weeds of how people can't figure out who superman is like yeah when you start to think about it and analyzing it yeah it doesn't make sense of course it's a comic about a guy who wears glasses and everybody thinks he's a completely different dude yeah it's a little bit silly when you start to think about it. And so the best thing to do is to just not think about it. Like, there's no need to critically analyze it. Nobody out there, Drew, is chomping at the bit to be like, hmm, why does Batman keep Joker alive? Isn't it bad that he does that? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think we all understand that on a fundamental level, but just don't draw attention to it. I don't... What? Because the problem is, Drew is with all of these stories that are like this, is that they draw attention to it and then do nothing with it. No one ever has the balls to actually do anything about the story or say anything meaningful about it. They're just always like, oh, well, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? That doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really make sense for Batman to do that. Like, why does he do that? Like, yeah, I know. You and 50 other writers have all come up with the same idea. None of you have done anything meaningful about it, so maybe just don't talk about it. Yeah, that's a good point, Cletus. I didn't really like Batman's solution for the, the, the train situation. I, when I was reading it, I was like, there's got to be a better way for Batman to solve this than the way he's doing it. I mean, it was pretty objectively dumb. Like, Batman's... That's my problem with this issue. Like, you know I've not been a, I'm a huge fan of this story to begin with, so I will fully admit that. But, like, Drew, this is the second issue in a row where Batman's been... Like, surface level appears to be clever, but effectively it's just being an idiot, right? Like, he's gotten people killed two issues in a row. Because, and I can't emphasize this enough, he's continuing to actively help the Joker. He willfully teams up with the Joker to save a train, Drew? And we're supposed to think that that makes sense? Especially in a world where there's Superman. He, Batman could have easily called Superman in, and uh, I think we could have we could have saved all these people. And honestly, that's probably what he would have would have done. You know what I it mean? It doesn't make sense. But that's, I agree, Drew. It's well in the worst part. And again, this is where when you draw attention to the fact it just makes the story dumber. Is Joker literally murders people? Batman's like you bastard, and that's it. That's it. that's the extent. Joker gets at the the lightest of slaps on the wrist, and that's supposed to be satisfying for the reader. There's not going to, this issue went out of its way, like, we don't, not that we don't already know this, right, but it goes out of its way to fully demonstrate what a, a reprehensible monster the Joker is. And then in the same breath tells us that Batman should should be teaming up with him, that it is logically the correct decision for him to do that. You can't do both. You can't have both. You can't sit here and tell me that the Joker, who I agree is completely reprehensible and beyond redemption. And in the, and then at the same time, tell me that he is teaming. It is for the betterment of Gotham for him to team up with Batman. I just don't believe you. Yeah, I agree with you. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. Batman number 132. Batman is on a parallel earth. 
a different Gotham. It is a world where Bruce Wayne is dead and Batman never existed. Venom-enhanced police roam the streets looking for an excuse to bring people before the courts and to declare them insane. They disappear to an Arkham Asylum that controls the city. Batman is shadowing Jewel to help and to gain intel on this world. Jewel's mother was taken by cancer. Jewel's father was taken to Arkham. His grief seen as a mental disorder. He never came out again. Jewel helps people so they don't suffer her father's fate. Abandoned buildings throughout Gotham are marked as her safe houses. She is trying, but no one is really safe. Gotham City is walled off, and the rest of the country has turned its back on them. Jewel doesn't believe that Bruce is from another Earth, but still plays along because she wants to help. She wants to help everyone. Jewel notices that Bruce is seeing things and explains that it's called Crane Brain. It's a gas that is pumped into the city that gives Arkham's goons more reason to commit you. Jewel gives Bruce a pill that counteracts the effects of the gas. It's made by Halliday Industries, a company that is located in Athena Tower. Red Mask pays a visit to Judge Dent. Red Mask demands that Judge Dent bring Bruce Wayne to him or Harvey will face the final verdict. Jewel explains that Darwin Halliday seems to be the only one fighting back against Arkham's hold on the city. Bruce decides he needs to talk to Darwin Halliday. Mr. Halliday may have what Bruce needs to get back to his own Earth. Bruce disguises himself as Wilson Texlin, a financer from Metropolis, and goes to a gala at Athena Tower. Bruce plans to convince Halliday to let him use his equipment and also snag his security credentials. Bruce's plan goes off the rails when Selina Kyle sees through his disguise and recognizes him as Bruce Wayne. When Bruce sees Darwin Halliday, Bruce recognizes the Joker's face. Bruce attempts to leave but is snared by Selina's whip. Bruce has to fight his way out. Punchline attacks him and so does Killer Croc. Bruce spots Alfred at the party before he is shot. Bruce falls out of a window but uses a rope as a lasso to slow his descent. Bruce falls through a skylight. Bruce gets up and makes his way to the street. Bruce comes across a cop beating a woman with a baton. Bruce fights the cop until both of them collapse. Bruce looks up to see a bat. Bruce decides this Gotham needs a bat. I really am intrigued by this new world that Zadarsky has introduced. We got this red mask character that seems to be the mastermind villain, at least as from what we've seen so far. You've got Bane version of Harvey Dent. Man, Drew, really, really, really interesting. Um, I, I like this a lot. I really enjoyed this, too, as I was reading it. I'm, I am enjoying it. We got Bruce thrown into a different type of world here, and it's it's fun to see him figuring it out. Now, I thought it got a little dumb at the end of the issue. I don't know why it, t- it took Bruce to see this bat before he's going to decide to become Batman. I just assumed he'd just become Batman when he got the chance. <laughs> So I thought that was a little goofy, but other than that, I really liked the story. Yeah, I and I mean uh, that's fair, Drew. I also thought it was a, a little <laughs> we we knew that the moon thing was going to be a legacy, right? He's like, well, I've survived falling from the moon. I can survive this, and it was arguably less plausible, if that makes any sense, Drew. It I falling from the moon is unfathomably dumb, right? Like obviously he should die. But I found a, I honestly had a harder time believing that he was okay surviving that fall in this comic. We also had a backup story, The Toy Box Part 2. Several months ago, Toy Man was on a rampage in Metropolis. Superman John Kent did his best to stop him, 
but people died. Toy Man had a gun that would turn people into toy versions of themselves, but other times it just incinerated them. Toy Man killed himself with that gun, the same gun that Failsafe used to incinerate Batman. During a test of one of the toy replicants, multiverse energy is discovered. Robin Tim Drake tells Mr. Terrific that he thinks Batman was sent to another Earth. Mr. Terrific agrees that it is a sound theory and is able to track the Earth that this toy replicant came from. Mr. Terrific gives Robin a suit that is tethered to this Earth in case he gets in trouble. When Robin arrives at the other Earth, he uses a device to track energy from his own universe. Robin finds a group of people locked in a building in chains. Toy Man shoots Robin from behind. I thought the backup story was really interesting in this, in that it, it, it's really tying into the main story in Robin's search for Batman. I'm sure this isn't the same Earth that Batman's on, but it's interesting that this is the Earth that Toy Man ended up on. And uh, I'm curious to see where this investigation leads Tim Drake. I agree completely, Drew. Like you said, it it is a fantastic kind of supporting story to what we've seen. You know what I mean? Like it's building on, we know Bruce is doing whatever in this alternate world. And we know that Dick is, and I'm sorry, not Dick, Tim is actively leading the investigation to figure out where he went. So again, it's very relevant, which is always nice for the backups in the first place, but it's also very intriguing in its own right. Like you said, Drew, I'm very interested in this story with Toy Man, let alone the fact that it's tying into the main story. Really good stuff. It sure is. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week. The Flash, One Minute War Special Number 1, Chapter 1, Past. Bell Anthro, the captain of the Empress's Guard, volunteers for an experiment and is able to move at lightning speed. The experiment is a success. More artificial conduit harnesses were made for the men and women of the Fraction. As the Fraction grew, they needed more food, more material, and more power. Bell Anthro was called on again to save his people. In exchange for marrying the Empress, Vel Anthro was sent out to pillage other worlds. At first, it was only planets on the verge of destruction, but the Fraction expanded out into the multiverse once they discovered organic conduits, what we would call speedsters. Chapter 2. The Present Avery Ho has her soul stolen by a being named Dark Wu, who plans to eat the sun. Dark Wu suddenly slows down and four alien soldiers take his body. Avery follows them to their spaceship. As the ship pulls away, Avery runs up the side of it. Avery boards the ship, steals one of the soldiers' guns, and then shoots the gem that contains her soul. Absorbing her soul back, Dark Wu has reverted to his wrinkly, evil self. Avery takes Dark Wu prisoner. Chapter 3, Present Part 2 Fraction soldiers invade a party and discover a speedster. While trying to find the speedster, the soldiers are killed one by one with a knife. When the last soldier is killed, the, the speedster is revealed to be Godspeed. Chapter 4, Future. Jay's brother was kidnapped. The whole Flash family is chasing down leads through time. Last time they faced the Fraction, Jay was frozen in time. Jay destroys their spire and the Fraction are now moving in real time. Gold Beetle shows up to help Jay and plants a big kiss on him. Gold Beetle and Jay have met before and both have feelings for each other. They decide to work together. The One Minute War continues in Flash number 792. Perfect example 
of a waste of time comic, in my opinion. The only thing I got out of this Cletus was, it was a little interesting learning about the origin of the fraction. That could have been in the main comic. I agree, Drew. By far the best and most interesting story. No reason that couldn't be in the main comic, though. It was, what, it was, what 10 pages long at most? Yeah. There's plenty of time to tell the rest of the story. The other, the only other thing I got out of this comic was the fact that they just they destroyed the spire to slow them down, and um, I think we're going to see that in the regular title. We also got of that flash forward story though, Drew, with Jay in the future meeting Gold Beetle, suggests that it's not resolved, or that the fraction become an ongoing threat, and they're not just a one-time threat, which I'm dubious about to say the least you know what i mean drew and so but again it's it's exactly what we're talking about where it wasn't even really a story about this one right it was really a story about another story in the future like you're trying to figure out well wait why is jay older why he's got the powers the way that he does the fractioner is still around what's going on with that we're not going to give you literally any details you're just going to have to buy the next thing that we shove in your face and then maybe you'll get some details out of that. This is what the fifth or sixth comic drew that Gold Beetle has popped up in. And they still have not given us anything substantive about this character. She exists. That's it. It's like they just think that because people are Blue Beetle and Booster Gold fans that they're just going to immediately love this character. And don't ask any questions. Don't ask for literally the tiniest sliver of detail about this character, you're just you just need to love her. She's around, you should love her. I might, Drew, I might like the character. Give me something. Some meaningful impact on the story. Tell me who she actually is. What is her story, Drew? All valid questions. I I read this thing and I'm like, oh man, another comic that's wasting my time. But that and, and she is so symptomatic of that, Drew. Again, I want to be clear. I think I could like that character. I think that character could be very interesting. But every single time that she's popped up, it has always, always been used as a, well, if you want to find out more, you should buy the next comic that she's in. To what end, Drew? You've teased nothing other than the fact that she exists. I don't know. Maybe she'll pop up in the main Flash title. Well, but... what I'm trying to figure out, Drew, is it feels like DC's trying to eventually set her up for some big title herself. Now, I'm not saying big ongoing, right? But something where she's going to be a major character. And you're like, wow, remember when she popped up in all of these various stories? Do, 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 do. Yeah, well, all of that paid off for this, but except everybody's going to be like, who? What? Why? Wait, this character matters? You know what? If they want to do a story with her, just do a miniseries with her and do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Drew. I, again, I'm not opposed to the character at all. Go for it. But actually, just tell the damn story. It's not that hard. Stop teasing and being like, hey, if you want to find out more, buy a comic that's going to come out in two years. Maybe just tell the story. And if you're not ready to tell it yet, then don't tell it. I, again, this is just such a waste of time. What was the point of that story? I don't know. <laughs> but it, it irritated me when I read that issue. So. 
All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, The Flash, number 792. Jake Eric has a meeting with the Speedsters. Jay has been doing some reconnaissance, and the Fraction has set up a, a perimeter a mile across, taking out a huge portion of Central City and Keystone upon impact, surrounding it with a sort of impenetrable wall. They can't climb it or vibrate through it. It only slides open to allow tanks and flyers through. The Fraction have technology that can tap into the Speed Force, they need one of their vehicles so that they can reverse engineer a solution. With tanks and flyers getting closer to this neighborhood, the speedsters decide they need a secret base of operations. Wally has just the place, Mr. Terrific's personal lab at Terrificech. Bart takes off without an explanation and Wallace follows him. Bart stows away on the back of a tank. Wallace follows him. A few minutes later, the tank takes them inside a bigger ship. Bart discovers an energy source and decides to steal it. When Bart and Wallace are discovered trying to carry it off by two soldiers, the speedsters use it as a battering ram. The cylinder breaks and the speedsters find someone hidden inside. Miss Murder and her two hounds show up. The stranger states that Miss Murder can read their minds. Bart suggests they not think and just act. The speedsters run through the ship until they come across the transport. The speedsters commandeer the transport, shooting Miss Murder with a laser. A few minutes later, Bart and Wallace return to the West Home where Wally and Max are waiting. When the Speedsters open the back of the transport, they find Gorilla Grodd, Superman, and Captain Adam. Drew, one of my problems too with event comics, and this isn't even, this shouldn't be an event to be clear. This should just be the Flash title, which it, it basically is, but it's selling itself as an event, is that it feels the need to be big, bombastic, and featuring every character, and it's got to be big and epic and bigger than what you normally read, but it often sacrifices sound storytelling in order to do so. And I just feel like there are moments like, Iris is dead. Right, as far as we're aware, it, but the comic seems to be dealing with that rather lightly. I, I I don't know how else to put it, Drew. She they literally put her corpse in another room and then get down to brass tacks. What? <laughs> I you know it's an event comic, so you got to move the story forward. But that's sort of the problem with these, Drew, that there's no time to breathe and deal with repercussions. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, I understand they're in the moment of crisis. They need to be focusing on action. But they literally just stuck the corpse of a woman that means the world to multiple people in that room. And they're just like, yeah, so, hey, Barry, if you need to sit this one out, that's fine. But we're going to go do stuff and be superheroes. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It does. Her death is not impactful at all. Because they've not allowed... It could be, Drew. I think it could be, but they've not allowed it to be. We saw her, as far as we're... Again, as far as we're aware, we saw her die at the end of the first issue with this. And then we've seen Barry carry her. They've, this is the thing. They try to do... These event comics try to do these sort of iconic snapshot moments, right? So Barry walking her home in his arms is... If you do the, like... Again, it's like... What we talked about with what CW is doing, where if you get like the TikTok clip of the show or the TikTok clip of this comic, you get the gist of it, right? But if you actually read the story, there's no depth there. There's nothing there. It's just something that you can look back on, pull that one panel up and be like, oh, man, wasn't that a sad time? And if you didn't actually read the comic, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that must have been a terrible tragedy. It meant nothing. 
Yeah, and the thing is, we don't really get any emotion out of Barry about it either. Or anybody, Drew. It'd be one thing if Barry was emotionless, but other characters reacting strongly and the story was dwelling on that. Because then you could excuse Barry not reacting as to not processing it well, right? That would make sense, and I could absolutely excuse that. But this is instead, the comic is just like, well, we killed her, but story time, we gotta keep moving. There's just no time. You you drop you drop a hammer that big at the beginning. You got to keep dealing with that, especially in an intimate story like this, where there's not, you know what I mean? It's not some event comics drew are over, you know, a long stretch of time, and so you can kind of forgive when there's some gaps in story because you can be like, well, well, in the week that it took to get from point A to point B, they dealt maybe dealt with some of that stuff. This is all happening in seconds, right? And so nobody's, I just, Drew, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted of this storytelling. When I was reading this comic, I I really liked, I really liked the Bart and Wallace stuff. Because, I I don't know, they're, they're, I don't know, I I like how they're writing them in this. Their, their interactions and stuff with each other and how they're handling stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if the whole issue had been focused on them their point of view in this and maybe that maybe that's how they should be writing this is focus on you know focus on one or two characters perspective in this issue and then you know maybe focus on barry in the next issue and maybe focus on wally in the next you know kind of thing instead of kind of being all over the place maybe maybe it needs to be a little more character driven instead of event driven or just story focused i think the problem with me for me drew is that it's not truly focused on the plot that we're getting a lot of character snapshots and moment snapshots but the story itself is incredibly disjointed right we get this big event that boom all this all the speedsters are at top speed so to speak and all this is happening but we keep getting these snapshot moments that are all just at best loosely tied together that's kind of my problem is i don't feel like the plot is is very tight i feel like we're just getting like we get iris dies and then we go and deal with this and now we're seeing bart for a little bit and yeah that was a fun scene but now we're going off and doing this you know what i mean like it just sort of it's just bouncing around it's it's in my opinion, Drew. It's a very similar storytelling to what we saw in Dark Crisis, which is individual moments that are interesting, but tie them together, and you're getting a lot of nothing. Like theoretically, the guy that we were told in the pre in the like extra issue of this, that's the lead commander, right? The top guy, the the best weapon. He's a like useless goon at best in this issue. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Bart and Wallace run circles around him. He does. He's he's beyond you, Drew. He's indiscernible from a from a faceless nobody, and he's supposed to be the top guy. And again, I and I and I know that that's a you again. It's a nitpick. I understand it's a nitpick, but this is the problem. If you want this story to mean something, you want that character to mean something. You can't have moments like this because it doesn't make me take that character seriously. All you're telling me is that he's not really a threat and that the hero's victory is inevitable, which of course it is. We all know it is, right? But you're not selling me on the idea of threat and danger. If the guy you're telling me is supposed to be the biggest, baddest threat, and then this hunter, who's also supposed to be another second biggest, baddest threat, are fooled by them 
being silly? That I mean, that's really ultimately what it is, Drew, right? Like, oh, we're not thinking, but, like, that's uh, okay. Effectively, again, it's a fun scene for Barry and Wall or Bart and Wallace, don't get me wrong. But, like, in terms of making me take the plot seriously, I, it, it's not doing it for me. Yeah, but but that's what this title has been under the new creative team. Kind of not taking itself seriously. <laughs> but I, but it, I think the problem, Drew, is that it wants us to take this seriously. This story, it wants us to take seriously. I know it's not, it's not dour, and I don't need it to be dour and grim. But it, they killed Iris, Drew. They're telling us that the world is under threat from these people that just ruthlessly scavenge. It's not like like the what like the one set of villains that were essentially pro wrestlers and mess stuff up temporarily, right? And then everything gets resolved, right? Like that was silly, but it was meant to be silly. I don't think this story is meant to be silly. I agree with you. It's not, but it's not meant to be silly. But it's you also the way they're writing it, you can't take it serious either. It's meant to be, I agree with you, it's meant to be serious, but it, you honestly can't because they're not writing it that way. And I have to agree with you, the, the villains, the villains just aren't really villains in this. They're nothing. They're faceless goons. That's never going to work for a story. And you can't have the one faced villain, the one character you've gone out of your way to establish and then tell us like, oh yeah, but also he's completely useless. But you know, if you didn't read the extra issue, you wouldn't even know that dude was supposed to be somebody. You know what I mean? But that, that Drew, that doesn't help. That doesn't help the comic. That doesn't make it better. That makes it worse. You have to have read effectively an optional extra purchase just to understand that that character isn't a completely useless, faceless villain. Yeah, that's my point. If you didn't read that extra issue, you wouldn't even know that. That's, but that makes it worse, Drew. So they're not do they're they're doing such a poor job of portraying him as who he's again. The comic has established that's what he's supposed to be, right? It's the same writer. That if you don't read the optional stuff, you don't even get that much out of it. You got you cannot leave that important of a detail to an optional reading. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That we did, I don't even know why they did the extra issue. Like you said the, earlier, the that should be... information on that first 10 pages of the optional issue, the comic was absolutely operating on the basis that you read that. This issue, I don't think, really makes a lot of sense if you've not read the other issue, Drew, honestly. I think you have to have read those 10 pages. So if you, yeah, if you want to even know what the heck the fraction is, because they haven't explained who they were, really. That's what I'm saying. It is fully, fully operating on the assumption that you know that you've read it, which is wild. Because again, these comics, I know they're not wildly expensive. I don't want to make it sound like they're extravagant, but the comics are expensive. They have never been more expensive than they are right now. And you cannot ask readers to be like, well, you got to have read this other completely optional and frankly mostly meaningless comic to understand the main story uh, you are actively buying flash and you read flash whatever issue 50 and now you're reading 51 but 51 doesn't make any sense if you didn't read 
That's ridiculous, Drew. All right, well, let's move on to our next title for this week, Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn number one. Our first story was Masks and Monsters. Detectives Crosby and Kessler tell Commissioner Montoya about a person of interest they suspect to be a serial killer. Their suspect has gone off the grid and the killings have stopped. Later, Montoya responds to a murder where the body is severely mutilated. After checking out the crime scene, Montoya goes home and decides this is a case for the question. After checking out the person of interest apartment, the question is led to a storage unit where she finds missing kids. The suspect shows up mutated by the Lazarus ring. Thanks to a kid with a taser, the serial killer is stopped. The end? Question mark. Our next story was called Trilogy. Raven and Beast Boy head to a church where three boys have recently transformed into demons. The boys had been playing basketball outside when the Lazarus ring hit. Beast Boy transforms into a tiger and stands guard outside the church while Raven enters. Raven finds the three demons demanding an exorcism from the priest inside. The priest has never performed an exorcism before. When Raven frees him, the priest runs. Two of the demon boys follow Raven outside. When Raven comes outside, Beast Boy has killed all the cops. Beast Boy transforms into Trigon. Trigon sends Raven through a portal. Trigon then kills two of the demon boys because they don't have what it takes. Liam, on the other hand, Trigon likes Liam because not only can a good demon not be trusted, but a good demon can't trust either. End. The next story was called City Boy. A boy comes to Gotham City and uses his powers to locate a Batarang. The boy plans to pawn it for money. The boy is struck by lightning during the Lazarus storm. A bunch of trash nearby comes together to form a magical pet. The boy's power activates again and he phases through the ground into the sewer. A pipe bursts and the boy almost drowns. Luckily, Nightwing saves the boy. The boy's power allows him to find a tiara in the sewer. When the boy touches the tiara, he saw the woman it belonged to. Nightwing encourages the boy to return it which makes the old woman happy. When Nightwing asks for his Batarang back, the boy disappears into the ground again. Batman shows up and tells Nightwing not to let the boy get too comfortable. City Boy's adventures will continue this year. Stay tuned. Our last story in this issue is called Pain of Terror. Firestorm is flying through the Lazarus rain when suddenly, kaboom! Ronnie and Professor Stein are blown out of the Firestorm Matrix. Professor Stein is injured. A few days later, Star Labs is gathering data from the crater created during the explosion. A shadow demon appears and injures a Star Labs employee. Ronnie combines with Dr. Ramirez to form Firestorm. Firestorm forms a tube around the shadow demon and shoves it back through the rift it came from. When Ronnie and Dr. Ramirez separate, Dr. Ramirez is an old man. Ronnie thinks the Firestorm Matrix might be stealing time from him for power. Just like it happened to Professor Stein. Only the beginning. There goes your advertisements, Cletus. It looks like they're wanting to tell future Firestorm stories. We got City Boys Adventure coming up sometime. I don't know what's going on with Raven and Trigon. And then we had the uh, Commissioner Montoya becoming the question again. All felt like advertisements for future stories. Why not just write those comics, Drew? Whenever you are going to put them out, just put them out. This isn't going to get more people to read those comics. They're going to read them one way or the other. 
put them out. I what a, it's 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 like you said it's a forty five page advertisement that people have to buy. They want you to pay money for a story that does nothing. Drew, Laz, what is the Lazarus Planet story? It's nothing. There is no story to be told here. The only thing, the only issue that has been an actual Lazarus Planet plot was the first one, the Alpha issue. And I think there's going to be an Omega issue. So really, Drew, what it really is, in truth, in truth, is a two-issue story. A two-issue story that is that you, they are telling you that you need to buy, what, 10 plus comics for that's wild i i am interested in a number of these stories drew i think the city boy one is that's a really interesting character i don't know that that has the potential to actually be a successful comic i that seems lacking for depth is i guess a better way to put i don't know how you turn that into a comic but it's possible it's certainly possible in the right writer's hands sure the the raven story sure okay another trigon story why not I add that absolutely does not need to get advertised. That'll get read. You don't need to advertise that. Just tell the story. I just, ugh, what a waste of time. Absolutely do not buy this comic. I cannot even stress that enough. What a colossal waste of time. Totally agree. All right, let's move on to the next issue. Lazarus Planet, Next Evolution, number one. First story is See No Evil. Red Hood tracks a canister of Lazarus resin smuggled out of LexCorp heading to Gotham. Red Hood's investigation leads him to a boat where it is discovered that someone beat Red Hood here. Red Hood finds a design for some kind of engine. The test equipment is all fried and melted. Upon further investigation, Red Hood discovers someone still on the boat. Red Hood catches a guy, transforms before his eyes. Red Hood grabs his crowbar, and when a woman attacks from behind, the woman is quick, leaps over Red Hood, and lands into a speedboat where two others are waiting, all masked. The guy in the green costume tells Red Hood that the Lazarus resin was too much of a danger to leave it floating through Gotham. They are not on opposite sides unless Red Hood wants them to be. The vigil is coming later this year. The next story is called Flatline Elevation. Tokyo, Japan. Flatline is following a spooky voice calling her name. The voice leads her to a house. Inside, sitting on a chair, is Ubu, Raza Ghoul's former bodyguard. Flatline and Ubu fight, but Ubu isn't what he was. Four ninjas appear and attack Flatline. Flatline fights her way through the ninjas until she realizes there is an urn that has been calling for her. Flatline removes the lid to the urn and Ra's al Ghul's spirit appears, telling Flatline they have much to discuss. Not the end. The next story is called The Abyss of the Dead Eye, The Astral Plane. Dead Eye has a conversation with Amanda Waller. A shapeshifter named Everyman attacked him. Deadeye wants to figure out who sent him and why. Amanda Waller, who is on Earth-3, hired Everyman to make him stronger. Deadeye kills Everyman since Waller hired him to keep attacking. End. And then our last story is called Red Canary. Sienna wakes up to her alarm. Her college roommate left a note to clean her half of the room or she was going to have a talk with the RA again. Sienna heads outside with her umbrella because it's Lazarus raining. When Sienna reaches the market, 
It's absolute chaos. Sienna changes into a Red Canary out costume and then waits for Sideways to show up. Red Canary and Sideways go to a coffee shop where Sienna's brother works. A pig named Rachel is causing havoc. Red Canary chases the statue into one of Sideways' portals. Sideways and Red Canary fight several more statues before Sideways has to return to school for his trig class. Red Canary goes after the, a squid by herself. And but Red Canary will return. See, another issue of all advertisements. Agre Again, Drew, I'm interested in some of these characters. Write the comic. Just write the comic. You don't need to write... You know what that? You know what a great time to put a comic out for this stuff is, Drew? Free comic book day. It's not that far away. That's true. That would be a good good place to put these you put it out there that's what that comic always is every year it's a bunch of loose teasers for what stories are coming up with no attempt or effort to tell a real story and it's fine because importantly drew the comic is free and so it, it works it's like hey here's a teaser for things that you want to use you should be reading dc here's why you should be reading dc check out this story this story this story and this story all coming up later this year. That's fine, again, because it's free. These were two 40-page-plus issue comics. It was 90 pages almost combined of comics, Drew, that told absolutely no cohesive story whatsoever. Lazarus Planet has not progressed one iota plot-wise from the first issue. It sure wasn't. All right, let's move on to our last title for this week, Monkey Prince number 11. When ultra-humanites rebuilt Phantom Zone Projector doesn't work correctly, the villain must go to the Hall of Justice to steal the other half back. With the full Kryptonian Projector intact, ultra-humanite opens a portal to the Phantom Zone. Monkey Prince shows up at the Hall of Justice and attacks Ultra Humanite with his monkey clones. A hand reaches through the Phantom Zone to grab his henchman father, but Monkey Prince stops the being by jumping through the portal. Monkey Prince comes face to face with Monkey King, who turns out to be his real father. When Monkey King learns that Nezha is behind the Lazarus explosion, Monkey King realizes that Nezha must have given up his red armillary sash again. Monkey Prince asks Monkey King to come back to Earth and help, but Monkey King refuses, stating he can't. Darkseid didn't imprison him there. Monkey King is in the Phantom Zone voluntarily. If he leaves the Phantom Zone, Monkey King states he will die. Monkey King tasks Monkey Prince with defeating both Nezha and King Firebull. Once that is accomplished, Monkey Prince must retrieve the Sandalwood Buddha. When Monkey Prince returns to Earth, the ultra-humanite infects him with nanobots that will attach themselves to his pain receptors. The ultra-humanite can now control Monkey Prince. The ultra-humanite tells him to meet him in a week. Until then, have fun with the Justice League. I'm sure this issue was really nice for Monkey Prince fans. As I said last issue, Drew, absolutely not a Lazarus Planet title. No, it wasn't. And um, I think the only thing we got out of this was the sash thing again, which we or we already knew about. That that sash has to play some sort of important important thing in stopping Nezha. Actually, I think what I think is going to happen is he's going to get the sash back. It's going to put Nezha back on the good side, and he's going to be the one to stop his son, the King King Fireball. 
That's what I think is going to happen. Yes. I guess. I, uh, you're probably right, Drew. I just, there's just, <laughs> I don't even know that I'm supposed to care about this story at all. It, like, I feel like all of these, these, co- these commercial comics feel to me, like they're communicating to me that it doesn't really matter what the conclusion to this is. It doesn't really matter. It wasn't the point. The point was essentially to be a bunch of ads masquerading as an event. Yes, and we know DC's got a bunch of new comics coming out later this year, and I'm sure this is what this is, is advertisements for a lot of those. What's going to happen is, is you know, DC's launching all these new comics. They're going to be out for a little while, and then some of them are just going to fade away because they're trying to um, they're trying to put out too much again. <laughs> That's what I see happening. Well, they're trying to put out too much. They're put, trying to put out too much completely new stuff. Now, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not complaining about trying new characters and doing new stuff with characters. That, that Of course you're going to do that, Drew. But think about all of the stuff that we read in these combined two issues, right? It's a lot of – as far as I'm aware, Drew, I've never heard of City Boy before. That feels new. The Red Canary character is new. Like, these are brand new characters, and they're trying to put all of them out at once. And I'm sure a couple of them are going to stick, Drew. There's a lot of potential in them. But it's you're asking for trouble. When you put them all out at once, you have to focus on those at the cost of characters that are already established and that people like. And you're going to end up with a lull in readership because people are going to be like, well, I don't really want to read that. I don't know who that is. I'm wondering, are these going to be miniseries? Are they going to try to do these as ongoing? I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. I, I don't. I have no idea. Again, just just put the comic out there. Just put the comic out there. We don't need the ad. And I agree, Drew. I don't. I, a lot of the characters that they've put out, I have no idea how they could work as ongoing. I just don't think they could sustain it. I'm not saying that they're not good enough characters. They could be, to be clear, with the right writer. Any character can be an awesome ongoing title. Don't get me wrong. But we're in a world right now where ongoing titles are a risky proposition at best sales-wise. And none of the characters that we read are it. Red Canary is not carrying a title. And I'm not saying that they're going to try. They they probably aren't even going to try to do that. But that's, again, sort of my point is they're trying to just load you with all of these new characters. And Drew, they, to be clear just did this they just did this we're still in the era of adult jonathan kent with jace as the new batman with yara floor as wonder woman or wonder girl great characters don't get me wrong like i like those characters right but you've already got these new fresh faces and then you're putting more new fresh faces it's too much you gotta have some balance to keep readers coming back because People like the characters they like, and that's okay. You can introduce some new ones, but you can't just load it all up on this and expect it to work. I don't think it's fair. Some of these creations, Drew, I think are pretty good, and they're probably going to end up getting forgotten because they got put out at the same time as 50 other new characters. Yeah, and, you know, they're putting out all these characters. They can't even keep Yara Floor's title went away. You know, Superman John Kent's title just ended. He's getting a, he's getting a new title, but it's only a miniseries. So I don't, I don't understand what they're doing. Are they planning on just doing miniseries? Are they going to try to do ongoing with some of these? I don't know. All I know is, you know, they're not big name characters. I, 
you know, if they're not doing, if they're going to try to do ongoings, I don't see them sticking around. Maybe, maybe one or two of them, but not a gazillion of them. There's a lot of characters they're throwing at us right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what their big plan is. All right, well, that wraps up Comic Books Talk for this week. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk The Flash. It's time for a promo for the Epsilon 3 podcast. The Epsilon 3? What do we talk about? It's a Babylon 5 rewatch podcast. Babylon 5? What's that? It's the greatest 1990s sci-fi show in history. How are we going to watch it? With glee and excitement. How would we rate those kind of episodes? Out of jump gates. How many jump gates? Out of five jump gates. Because it's Babylon 5. That is correct. If you go to Zahadum, you will die. But you know what you won't do? You won't die listening to the Epsilon 3 Podcast, right here on the ESO Network. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. And we're back. Let's talk The Flash, Season 9, Episode 3, Rogues of War. Captain Boomerang, the Fiddler, and Murmur rob Corbin Taft Industries and kill a security guard. They steal a temporal scanner. Barry theorizes they are stealing components needed to build a cosmic treadmill. The only item left to complete it would be a quantum vibration engine. The Department of Defense has a quantum vibration engine. Hartley suggests they form their own rogue team and steal it first. Barry and Hartley recruit Jayco, Chillblain, and Goldface to help them steal the quantum vibration engine from the DoD. Chester figures out that the new tech that Captain Boomerang, the Fiddler, and Murmur are using comes from Wayne Enterprises. When Barry and his rogues steal the quantum vibration engine, Chillblain double-crosses them. He's working for Red Death now, who promises to bring back Frost. When Barry recovers, he changes into the Flash. Flash brings his team out to challenge the rogues. When Red Death shows up, Flash loses his speed. Red Death takes the Quantum Vibration Engine and the team of rogues. Chester talks to Luke Fox, but he has no clue who Team Flash is up against. A few weeks ago, Ryan Wilder went on patrol as Batwoman and never came back. Chill Blaine is upset when he can't get Frost back right away. Red Death removes her mask and states, I am vengeance. It is Ryan Wilder. Cletus... This has got to be one of the stupidest episodes. You have the quantum vibration engine in a secure DOD facility. That's, you know, it's hard to break into because it has metahuman dampeners, right? And it takes several of them to break in. Barry doesn't even open the, the safe to get in there. He has to vibrate through it to get it out the object. What was the point of stealing it out of the DOD to take back to a less secure Star Labs to guard. It didn't make any sense to me. What would make more sense is if Flash got in contact with the Department of Defense, gave him the heads up the rogues were probably going to be coming to steal this thing, and offer his assistance to help guard it. No, he does the the stupid thing and wants to steal the sucker. It didn't make any sense. 
It doesn't make any sense, Drew. They have to go through great lengths to hire a very specific set of skills in order to set all three dampeners off or power generators off to lower the dampeners that they the rogues that they know are under the employ of the red death do not have those powers right it's the fiddler and captain boomerang so they can't do it i i agree drew i mean this is yet another episode in which really drives home the point that I feel like the Flash as a whole, especially the, you know, the latter era of the of this show as a whole, is really, I think, an alternate universe example of what if the Flash was an idiot? Because every episode, that's what the plot centers around. It's, well, the Flash fights Captain Boomerang, but what if the Flash was an idiot? And then this episode, Drew, it's, what if Red Death was threatening Central City, but what if the Flash was an idiot? Like, that's, I mean, it's really, basically, you could use that to describe almost every episode the last three or four seasons. <laughs> Good point, Cletus, I like that. <laughs> what if Flash was an idiot? <laughs> maybe, they, it maybe... really, it does, it, it describes almost every plot. Like, it's wild. Barry is a moron. I, there's no other explanation. I, I, I mean, you know, the real explanation is that the writers are terrible at their jobs, and so it comes across as Barry being an idiot when really it's the plot. But still, let's not even talk about Drew. My biggest problem with this episode is, I, I and again, I totally agree with you, the plot to even do this is stupid to begin with. But once you commit to doing this stupid thing, they then immediately approach the one guy who has a very active reason to have a vendetta against him and told him as much last episode and then is shocked Pikachu-faced when he, when he betrays him at the end of the episode. Like, of course he was going to do that, Barry. He told you he was going to do that. What? What a stupid show. What a stupid, stupid show. I can't argue with it. I have nothing else to say about it. <laughs> I certainly have nothing positive to say about the show. It's, it is unbelievable. Unbelievable how bad it is. I just, oh my God. Whew. But anyway, so I've, I kind of, the episode I will say, Drew, was helpful for me in realizing, like, I've long thought that Barry has been portrayed as an absolute idiot on the show but it, it's helped me kind of crystallize my theory and so now i can just watch every episode as well what if the flash was an idiot oh that's what this episode is oh that's funny yeah that's that's pretty much what it is all right well that wraps up our show for this week do you have a shout out cletus not dc my shadow is going to be ant-man i checked it out last weekend at this point now that we're recording this i understand why it's getting the criticism that it's getting. I think there are a lot of plot issues with it, but I did find it entertaining. Like I didn't feel like I had wasted my money to go see it. There are a lot of moments that are really funny. And Jonathan majors is absolutely phenomenal as Kang. Kang the conqueror is well worth the price of admission. I thought I'm very, very excited to see more of him. There are issues with the film. And I think some of the concerns about Marvel's sort of rudderlessness are warranted, but I I thought my big takeaway from the film was that I'm really excited to see where they go with Kang because it definitely energized me in terms of his character specifically. So if nothing else, I recommend it for that. Yep, I went and saw it last weekend too. I, I enjoyed it. 
as well. So I don't have much more to say about it than that. <laughs> all right. And for my shout out, I got three podcasts I'm going to shout out that are all DC focused. Uh, the 42 cast episode 176, How Bizarre. They talked about season two of Superman and Lois. So found, found uh, their commentary interesting. Uh, also listen to, but first let's talk nerdy episode 80-M, Women Do Not Belong in Refrigerators. So, uh, some commentary on uh, fridging and comics. And then the final podcast I listened to last week, which was also DC focused, was Talkville, Season 2, Episode 7, called Lineage. It was an interesting episode because a woman came into Smallville claiming to be Clark's real mother. That was an interesting podcast to listen to. Plus, they had Onette O'Toole on to talk about her uh, time on Smallville. So, found all three of those interesting. Uh, if you want to check those out, then uh, check out your place you get your podcast. All right, if you'd like to comment on anything we talked about this week, you can reach us at a feedback line, 317-564-9133. Leave us a message, or you can email us at earthstationdcu at gmail.com. All right, Cletus. We got a better slate of comics coming up next week. We've got Batman Beyond the White Knight, Danger Street, Swamp Thing, Green Hell, Batgirls, I Am Batman, Lazarus Planet, Dark Fate, and of course, The Flash. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.